Welcome to Hamburger Business Review. I'm Mike Merrill here with, here with Zach Rose. Talk to you about all things hamburgers and business. Mike is a is a podcaster. This is my first time on a podcast. So he's doing great. I'm a so casual far. enthusiast. I mean, it is a daily practice, but it's a three-minute review on my other podcast. And I think it's essentially, it's just us having a conversation about something we're wholly fascinated by. Um, it feels like it should be pretty organic. That's true. Let's get into it. The concept of Hamburger Business Review is we are looking at the glorious history of Harvard Business School's case studies that they've done throughout the years, many of which, I think there's over 30 case studies that that speak to or something about McDonald's. And today we're looking at the June 30. 1993, McDonald's and the Environment A. Is it 1993? I thought it was November, late November of 1990. Oh, no, you're right. The revision was 93. Right. Okay. Yep. It was, yeah. This is significant sort of news item that this case review is, is covering happened less than 30 days before the, the review was published. What made you choose this one of the long list of all of the McDonald's case studies? I'm curious about what what made you just kind of hone in on that. Yeah, a couple of things. It was first on your list, so that was a good place to start. And then also the environment. What an angle. What a what a what a place to start talking about McDonald's from. And also 1990 environmentalism is different than environmental environmentalism now, I'm learning. So it seemed like a great place we're both of a certain age. We're talking about 90s McDonald's would would maybe bring us back. I don't know if you had McDonald's as a kid. Oh, man, I was my first job was working at McDonald's in high school. No kidding. Yeah. In yep. Alaska? Uh, yep. Wow. In both Saldotna. And then I also worked at the Sitka McDonald's, which is one of the last McDonald's to have pizza at McDonald's. Oh, that's why. OK. Yeah. So, so you're in this deep. Uh, yeah, realize, I've been, yeah, I didn't realize but, I was working with a professional. But from that like '90s era, when I was in Portland, I feel like McDonald's was the symbol of sort of like corporate greed and evil. Also, it's the tall poppy effect. Like yeah, like for for every Coca Cola, there's a Pepsi that's doing something much worse, but it doesn't get as much flack because it's not the big one that everybody knows. Let's get into this case study, because I have not read a lot of case studies, although I love the form, which is a little bit strange. And I'm totally unfamiliar to the form. I'm not even sure what this is supposed to be about or how this, why it's presented this way. I have a lot of questions. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say at the outset, and I think we'll get to this by our conclusion, that I think this is a poor case study. And maybe it's because, oh. it's, it's, uh, as I said, the title is McDonald's and the Environment A, and there is a B. Um, which we are not addressing. We are only addressing this case study. Right. And, haven't even haven't even paid for the B. They, they cost yeah. eight bucks eight, eight bucks a pop. So there's three great quotes that start out this case study, and I think they sort of sum up essentially everything that we're going to talk about. The first one is Shelby Astro, senior vice president for environmental affairs, McDonald's Corporation, and the quote is: "Society has an impression on business, as it darn well should." And business better start paying attention to society. That's pretty good. Okay. He is business. 
he's, he's so he, very, he better yeah. take his own he better take his own advice yeah you, one would one would hope uh next is fred krupp the executive director of the environmental defense fund it's time to turn the golden arches green yeah. and i think there's a, there's a lot to unpack there um and we'll get into that so this whole like marriage strange marriage which is essentially what this case study is about is this marriage between the environmental defense fund and mcdonald's working together um right and then final quote is from ed renzi the coo of mcdonald's this is the most flexible company on the face of the earth it's a little bold we do what feels good and if something feels different tomorrow we'll do that i love that I mean, and that, that that to me because I feel like the case study is trying to make this thing seem, um, they're trying to have some dramatic tension in the case study. I don't know if it's a business school, what would you do situation, or a, isn't this unusual situation, but the author seems fixated on McDonald's spent like at least half a decade talking about how their styrofoam containers are actually not that bad for the environment. They're, they're maybe recyclable one day. They're, you know, they're, they're better material. than better than some of the other options. They're not destroying trees, right? And then the case studies author seems to be fixated on like, how could they go back on that? How would wouldn't that wouldn't McDonald's lose all credibility? And this just seems so absurd to me. Who cares? That's what I can't put my my head into. Yeah, I think the mode of where we were then it's 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 going to be very hard for us to adopt now because i've been I, trying yeah I, um a, an interesting aspect of this is that the case study author uh sharon i think her name i, I don't know exactly how to pronounce her last name lives livesy um sharon livesy sharon livesy is a she's now a professor at fordham university and i looked up her um like rate my professor rating and hers is it's a mix of good and bad, mostly bad, because they all are. But everyone talks about how she's so liberal and so pro-environmental, and she's a real activist. And I think that's an interesting context to add as we go through and kind of think about, like, what is this case study trying to do? To think about the case study itself as a potentially a form of activism. Yeah. So the meat of the case study, let's just get into it. Let's do it. McDonald's introduced the Big Mac in the late 60s. They introduced styrofoam packaging in the late 70s for a number of products, including the Big Mac, including um, six-piece chicken McNuggets, the filet of fish, all these different products. And then throughout the 80s, it seems like there's a real cultural moment about trash and recycling and the landfills are going to overfill. We're running out of place to put our trash. This can't go on. And so like very, very late 80s, 1990, McDonald's teams up with the Environmental Defense Fund and switches to a paper wrap for their their products, which they kept for about mid-90s, and then they started doing some cardboard again. Part where you're talking about the tall poppy effect and thinking about the... I remember seeing McDonald's trash on the side of the road, like those, you know, the containers specifically. Like, I have a memory of that, and... I think that that because you have this like iconic packaging that just is so bright and stays around for so long, I could see that being a major impact of like 
where a lot of the uh, kind of the ire of the environmental activists are looking at like look at the trash on the side of the road it's an it's an easy to understand problem because it's branded and it's visual and it's right there yeah right right and it's so ugly when styrofoam gets dirty it's just the ugliest thing in the world yep absolutely some of the history and some of the like like going through the case study we kind of start out with this overview that kind of talks about there was there was pressure on McDonald's to do something about this it talked about the Los Angeles Mayor Bradley, you know, kind of like saying, oh, this is so great that they're getting rid of this track. Politicians are going to back something that shows uh, a noticeable visual change. But this thing of teaming up with the EDF in order to find the solution, I think that's the real point that we're looking at in this case study, because I think that's the unusual thing. Normally, a company would do this on its own and would never align itself with another organization, especially one that's you know, the Environmental Defense Fund. Right. And that, that has some teeth and some legitimacy to say, we studied this, we're still not happy with what they did. It seems like that would have really hurt. Could have hurt. Could that have hurt McDonald's if the EDF were unsatisfied by the end of this six month investigation that they did? Yeah. To come in and say at the end to say like, oh, they're actually worse than we thought, you know, or like, oh, we looked, you know, we looked behind the curtain and it's, it's, even more harmful, <laughs> you know, than, than, than just the trash that's out there or just the styrofoam or whatever it is. It seems super risky. And, and they talk about that in the case study where they break down kind of the rules where like, okay, they're going to work on this thing together, but they both have the right to issue different final statements if they want. Like that was part of the negotiation of putting this team together. Right. They didn't talk about this in the case study, but I did find a Los Angeles Times article from 1990 about Fred Krupp and the EDF. And according to his telling of it, or their telling of it, Fred Krupp was like on a road trip with his family in Connecticut or something. They pulled over, they got McDonald's Happy Meals. He was looking at the six piece chicken McNugget box made out of styrofoam and thinking, this is after a long career of other many like environmental legal successes. And he was like, I should just talk to them and tell them, you know, and start negotiations to, to get them to stop doing this. And he actually has meetings for a year before this, this study kicks off. And so I wonder, is this really a study or is the study sort of like the result of a creative negotiation that maybe had some teeth with it that was like, we need to do this together or we can do this together. If you don't, it's going to be worse for you. I, I, I do think that there is that. It's interesting that he came at it as sort of a, a friend of the brand, right? As a customer. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm already feeding my kids chicken nuggets. So he's coming and being like, hey, let's have a conversation about this. That seems like a really gentle way to approach the negotiation. But through this case study, it's talking a lot about the potential launch of these polystyrene recycling centers that they're trying to, to create, you know, and then that switches gears based on this study, and suddenly it's this dramatic shift to, no, we're just going to phase those out. There was this quote defending the use of polystyrene, which again, the tall poppy effect, where Shelby says, we use foam packaging for the same reasons that schools, hospitals, and other restaurants do. It keeps our products hot, it keeps them fresh, it's portable, and it's a safe and sanitary way to serve our product. And I just think, you know, 
like saying like McDonald's schools and hospitals, you know, you're just like, this is the way right. it's done. It's not our, you know, like you can go to any of these places and find the same trash. We're just doing it at a scale that is unimaginable to any of these singular which, organizations. Which frankly, I don't buy it. And I don't buy so much of what McDonald's said in this case study about their polystyrene containers. They had the polystyrene in the late seventies and the decade before that, Everyone was complaining about the cold hamburgers? I don't think so. McDonald's is a company that's built on efficiency at every level, right? So like once they figured out like, this is how we get our containers, it's super efficient to ship them, to use them, everything's perfect. And then to have somebody come in and say like, maybe you should do things in a slower, harder way. I'm sure they were like, no, we're not doing that. As late as 1990, COO Renzi criticized the critics, arguing at a conference of fast food executives, we cannot allow ourselves to be held hostage to self-appointed saviors who are just trying to scare the American public. If they're so concerned about keeping the, the hamburgers warm in the styrofoam box, what about the fries? Yeah. This, this, this whole thing falls through. And yeah. they're talking about how they can recycle the polystyrene. And it turns out that like, oh, wait, we forgot it's covered in grease and ketchup. And for every bulky styrofoam box, we're going to get like a gram of the good plastic juice out of this again, or like half a gram or something. It just doesn't make sense. What about the fries feels like it could be the the counter to this entire case study? You know, like, what about the fries? Yeah. You go back to the mission of Fred Krupp and the EDF. They don't care about the temperature of the food. They're just trying to get rid of polystyrene. This raises a bunch of questions for me. Like, why did they switch from cardboard to styrofoam in the first place in the late 70s? Plastic just became the thing. Okay. It just became the okay. default way to do everything. And, and so okay. I think I think historically it was just like the rise of plastic and then obviously like disposable plastic just became this magical solution. And it is an okay. amazing yeah. insulator. I can yeah, I could imagine at some point that even if it wasn't better or even if it was just marginally better, there was a moment where it was like, this is new. Check it out. Yes. And, and would, that alone is like a yep. quick hit for, for McDonald's profits. And so they're gonna take it. Okay. I'm warming up to this. I can also see how the box would be very important for McDonald's to have their, their sandwiches come in a box because any mom and pop local fast food restaurant is going to wrap the burger in paper. And this just makes it seem mm, a quality like a new pair of Nikes. Yeah. Yep. Like a real product, like something that like you got to get the new sandwich if you haven't had it already. I remember having the pancakes at McDonald's as a kid the way the fork would like puncture into it a little bit. It's an insane material. It's not a very good plate. I think the branding effect was huge, both from a kind of technology, look what we're doing way. But uh, in the case study, you know, they talk about the familiar pastel polystyrofoam boxes. Each type of product comes in a different color. I, I don't think McDonald's was initially looking for the real solution. Like no, I think that's like, clear. It almost sounds like their number one priority is just the supplier relationship that, with the, that they have the polystyrene people. In the case study, they're trying to give a sense of like how much polystyrene is being used. And so they were saying that the, the, the typical restaurant generated about 238 pounds of on-premises waste per day. Uh, but the, the majority of that came from behind-the-counter uses. So stuff yes. that the customer never sees. Polystyrene accounted for about 7% of waste 
by weight. And obviously it's very lightweight, but also most of the waste that's happening in McDonald's is invisible and therefore we don't care about it. What we care about is the visual waste and the, and the parts that we have to touch as customers. Yes. And even the stuff that McDonald's is throwing out, they make the point that like, oh, well, actually like, yeah, right. A lot of McDonald's orders are to go. So how are we going to recycle it? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So then they come up with this brilliant idea for these recycling centers. The original polystyrene was the, the little bubbles of air are actually chlorofluorocarbon gas that is like, you know, used as a refrigerant or was used as a refrigerant, which is like one of those super greenhouse gases yep. and also punches a hole in the ozone layer. And that's an interesting environmental thing, in addition to just like the unsightliness of it, is that they're off-gassing significant amounts in the aggregate of this horrible gas. And I think they switch to a different foaming agent or a different gas, but it's still like not that much better. And that happens a few years before they get, they try to, to talk about recycling. There had to be a point inside the company, and maybe they didn't talk about it among themselves, but where somebody, where they were just like, oh, this is very, like, we can, we can try to make this sound less worse, but we can't make this sound good. Right. Step one was, can we recycle this? And they start, they, they were educated, they were trying to educate, like McDonald's was trying to educate people on recycling. Right, right. They're trying to do something good. Yeah. Working um, the World Wildlife Fund, the Smithsonian, the Royal Botanical Gardens, they produced an educational children's booklet called Recology with the WWF. Yeah. And to get myself like back in the headspace of late 80s environmentalism, I watched last night Sex, Lies, and Videotape with Andy McDowell and James Spader. Just because the opening has uh, Andy McDowell's character on the couch at a therapist's office talking about just the immense amounts of trash that like, she's not even like in a particular place with a lot of trash, but she's talking about like, it's everywhere. Where are we going to put it all? There's that barge called like the, uh, they call it the gar barge. <laughs> that is just like, it went from New York city down to Belize and back trying to, it was full of, of physical like waste trash looking for a place to dump it and they couldn't find a place. And so I had to come back to New York city. Like this was like in the news in like 19 in late eighties. We also had like acid rain. We had uh, the hole in the ozone layer. And by comparison, all of these things today, for the most part, they're like, they're not the, the issue that they used to be. Acid rain is not the issue. The ozone layer is healing. We're in like a good place from the perspective of these like small concerns landfills we've moved on to other existential issues in terms of which like, are yes if, if which you are much sex more lies, like yeah if you open sex lies and videotape now it wouldn't be about garbage it would be about all of these other current contemporary existential issues that would, would make somebody feel out of control in the world it would be about co2 fossil fuels it would be about like ocean trawling it would be about strip mining and um, stuff that just yeah. that just comparatively to me anyways feels like so much harder to get a handle on so much harder to say like oh yeah your 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 recycling is going to your your individual contribution is going to help here that feels like something that was clearly happening within the minds of the McDonald's leadership at the time as they looked at okay let's at least figure out how we recycle these things so we can say we're doing the right thing. 
And, and you know, it's one right. of these things where like the political move is the same as or, or seemingly the same as like what the environmentalists kind of want in this case. Like, yes, if we can recycle these, everyone's a little bit happier. Everyone's a little bit like, oh, we have to take on a little bit more costs. But they're kind of like trying to figure this out in terms of how to how to recycle it. Here comes this this case study. The big twist in the case study is the EDF and McDonald's enter into this weird, uh, they, they, they create this task force. McDonald's is obviously very concerned about it all becoming regulated. Like there's, there's these quotes from uh, the New York mayor and uh, the LA mayor. And that there, I think there's a worry that if they don't get on top of this fast enough, they're gonna, it's going to get regulated, which, you know, right. having just gone to McDonald's this morning in preparation of recording this, there was a sign that was like, because of California law, only like one set of utensils will be given when you order your food, unless you ask for more. And like, from the perspective of McDonald's, like to have one, let's say New York City was, they, they outlawed styrofoam in New York City. Well, now McDonald's has to figure out a new packaging thing anyways. And now they have to manage two packaging things. I can see why that they would just not want to do that. Yeah. So by they the would much late... prefer to, to get ahead of it, yep. do it on their own timeline, do it with paper lined plastic, as it turns out. It talks about in the 8990 when they when they introduced recycling into the restaurants, this kind of like test case in New England with 450 restaurants. They created this plan to recycle the polystyrene plastic and the cor corrugated cardboard. They were already doing the recycling behind the scenes, which is also interesting. So we're just dealing with that like 7% of like waste at the restaurant. But they they set up a way for people to actually be able to recycle at after they purchased and ate in, in the restaurants. Right. And then this joint venture, they kind of had this plan for these plants to be put in operation by the, the National Polystyrene Recycling Company, a plastics industry joint venture. What I love about like this, this attempt is this like little pilot program. I mean, I guess it's a pretty big pilot program, 450 restaurants, but immediately uh, pamphlets and posters <laughs> McDonald's rationale for the program, what customers need to do. And I'm sure all in this language of, you know, we're recycling, we're doing everything. Right. We're, doing we're, everything. we're making everything a PVC stuff. billboard to advertise our recycling yes. program. We're making 450 PVC billboards. Yeah. But, and, and then right away, though, the environmentalists are referring to this as merely a public relations ploy. Like they basically like called their bluff right away. Like, Talking about how, you know, recycling overlooked the issue of pollutants generated by the production of all of these materials. And there's a great quote, recycling just serves to legitimize increasing the use of throwaway plastics. It would be far better for McDonald's to use durable goods instead of promoting the throwaway society. Oh, this is this is Ralph Nader's group, right? Yeah. Right. I, I right, love right. the idea of going to have like actual plates and glass and, and, plates. And they talk about how there's somebody, there's a consumer at a press release, at a McDonald's press release, who asks the question, why not have reusable plates and utensils? It's just like an awkward party foul. It's like, whoa, obviously, like, we're not going to go there. We're fast food. We're not a sit-down, dine-in restaurant. Like, let's not go crazy. So then, then a quick pivot into this joint task force on the environment. Did the reputation of the EDF suffer for this announcement. I, I remember in the 90s, there was always this thing of like, oh, if you work with the big company, you're bad. From what I gather about the EDF is that they're sort of like the, um, you could call them moderate, you could call them pragmatic. 
uh, like I'm, I'm familiar with what you're talking about, this sort of sense of McDonald's is irredeemable well, and to collaborate them with it is to sort of abet them. And then, and then you had things like the Earth Liberation Front and things like that coming out of, you know, Oregon. If these big organizations are going to compromise and do harm reduction, we're going to go full radical eco-terrorism, you know, spawned out the other side. You sort of saw the separating of, of some of that into like the more radical fringe being like, oh, not only no compromise, but let's go full on burn down a building or something. Blow up a pipeline. Yeah, it's, it's today's version. So they start this task force. And this is, I guess unimaginable that McDonald's would do this, or it's it's definitely newsworthy in the Harvard Business Review. The goal of it is different than the outcome. It says that McDonald's had already put in place numerous waste reduction initiatives, but the task force study would provide a framework, a systematic approach, and a strong scientific basis for McDonald's solid waste decisions. So they were really just studying the way that McDonald's was dealing with its waste. So they eventually settle on, they're going to use a polyethylene piece of plastic that's paper lined on both sides and they're going to wrap the hamburger in that and then but, five years later they're back to cardboard boxes which they were <laughs> in the late 60s i think there was a lot of news around what a big deal this was in that they were working together because i think i think it, it, it was very much business polluters on one side and sort of like environmentalists on the other and so there was you know wall street journal articles boston globe articles fred krupp was quoted as saying it's hard to take me seriously when i say i'd like mcdonald's to be garbage free my dream is getting mcdonald's to compost most of their waste and reduce the rest of it so they don't have any garbage he still has radical visions that's my dream too he kind of i think also knows it's not going to happen okay so the task force sort of you know, they set about developing this criteria. We know that McDonald's has this criteria of like everything has to be fast and efficient and all of these different kind of like business aspects. And this task force kind of created this new criteria where packaging decisions would also measure kind of the, the waste management hierarchy, as they called it, so, uh, considering health, environmental impacts, feasibility, economic costs. So they added this new set of structures uh, right, for, which for is the McDonald's. only way that businesses can like think of anything. It seems like is to have like a metric and an objective and measurements and numbers. I, any collective group, because otherwise it's my individual opinion versus yours. Unless we write it down into a framework, and then we can kind of share our thinking between you know multiple people. Mm. This whole case study, which is 15, 16 pages, the very last page, we get into this note that okay by late October. It's, it's 1990, nearly three months to the day after forming the partnership with the EDF, McDonald's is planning to expand its foam recycling program to all of its U.S. restaurants. It's like, we figured it out. This is what we're going to do. And then out of nowhere, the company changed its mind, decided to withdraw its foam sandwich boxes and dismantle its plastic recycling program. Poor Kenneth Harmon is probably so bummed. And they're going to move to quilted paper, which had been newly developed and tested during the summer in Cleveland. Right at the very end of this entire operation, they were like, nope, we're going to eject the whole thing. Right. And and Yastro is quoted as saying, the last four or five or six days around here were very intense about whether we should make the change. So Fred Krupp had, had his teeth in them, it sounds like. Well, yeah. And and, and I think he got he got Renzi on board. Ren, Renzi was the big Renzi, man Renzi is flexible as we know 
he's he's the COO, you know. Um, he actually went on to become the CEO and is credited with the development of the chicken nugget. But what? like, yeah, him and Ed and Fred, they, they're the ones that did it. Ed Renzi and Fred Krupps. Even as the rest of the organization was heading towards this recycling, they were just like, nope, we're doing it another way. And then the entire case study ends right there. They they introduce this abrupt change in this whole thing about polystyrene recycling and all of these different players. And it ends on kind of all these questions. McDonald's had to position how to how McDonald's is going to position its announcement. And it's right, like, how right. should it address the public, the press, other audiences, shareholders? What would the key messages be? How should is they this talk about this the is media? for the Harvard Business School students, maybe. This is the the point of a case study where it's get it gets into the the questions, the what would you do is yeah, is exactly. That, is that the it, form that we're dealing it, with? Yeah, it feels like it because it ends on this cliffhanger. Of, and now what? Dot dot dot. What should it make of the recent statement from a scientist at the National Audubon Society? Using a lot more paper means a lot more pollution. It is a mistake to make plastic the great Satan and paper the great saint. Both processes generate pollution. Wow, that's the end Ooh. of the whole case study. What would you do, Mike? If you were COO or CEO of McDonald's at this time, how would you? I would, would position just... it. I would position it as we worked with the EDF in order to create a solution that was satisfactory to everyone, but in the end, McDonald's decided to go a step further and eliminate the use oh. of this toxic material. You know, whatever. No, maybe I'll say toxic. that's good. Yeah. That's you good. Admit, yeah. So then, then it makes it look like McDonald's went above and beyond what the EDF decided to do. That'd be my, like, how to position it. That's very good. Yeah. One would assume that McDonald's and the Environment case study B addresses some of this, but this case study ends on this strange note. Perhaps if we have another podcast episode, this is something we can delve into. After reading through this, what were the parts that landed for you the most or were the most interesting or fascinating? Just a different mental climate back then of what environmentalism was and what was needed. And also trying to put myself in the place where this sort of third way collaboration between the environmental group and the corporation is fresh and believable. If somebody told me that like Walmart was pairing with like the World Wildlife Foundation today to to do something along these lines, I would be like, all right. It, it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to imagine that this being really like all that exciting. Yeah. I think I did read that Fred Krupp went on to work with Walmart to get LED lighting installed and was and that was also a huge harm reduction win versus energy or waste or some kind of thing as well. So it's interesting that you brought up Walmart and, and, yeah, I think that's and the environment. Yeah. yeah, I agree. It we, we have this term greenwashing now and we understand it in a way where right, right. We, we just don't buy it. We don't buy that there's any, there's no true desire from the part of the company. And and that's, that's the question mark I have is how bought in was Ed Renzi, the COO of McDonald's, how bought into this idea was he versus how much was he just trying to solve the problem for McDonald's? Right. And I think that's apparent because if I think about like McDonald's doing environmentalism thing today, it would be all of the beef, all of the the hog farming and the chicken farming. Yeah. And all of the stuff that seems a lot more baked into McDonald's core offering than the packaging even. And I think that's why 
like if, if if something were announced that were to do something on those fronts, that would be novel to me. That would be shocking. I don't. I can't imagine that really. And it's such a wildly different media landscape now. Trying to get a message out about your changes towards either harm reduction or a more positive environmental spin of a giant company, like who would care? You'd have to do something so massive now in order to get that done, in order to make anyone care about it. Because yeah, it would again, just be like a history. TikTok video about like yeah. backpackers who also love to go to McDonald's when they're done with their backpacking. <laughs> it's like these things are compatible. And you wouldn't even there wouldn't even be a message. I think when they figure out hopefully or continue rolling out the McPlant sandwich, that'll be an exciting time to see how they frame that. I think another huge issue is, you know, worker rights unionization. Oh yeah. Which yeah, which is yeah, sort yeah. of uh you know another like modern day issue in in fact Starbucks is dealing with it poorly. Yeah. Has there been any news recently about McDonald's that you've Yeah, let's run the numbers, shall we? Yeah, let's look at it. The stock price $267.20 as of uh, market close on Friday. We've got a new McDonald's chief development officer, Tabassum Zalochwala. It looks like she was hired. They announced the job on Thursday. She's Did coming you... from Chipotle. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's that's new. That's exciting. She looks like she's had some, some heavy hitter success in her career. And also the bagel sandwich. The bagel is back on the East Coast as a breakfast option instead of a biscuit or the McGriddle. I was really excited to try it, even though I'm a diehard bacon, egg, cheese, biscuit fan for my morning sandwich at McDonald's. Uh, they didn't have it in L.A. yet, so it has not rolled out nationwide. I enjoyed it. It's got more um, more tooth than any other mm -hmm. breakfast sandwich from McDonald's. And I think it's sort of funny that New York City is like one of the first places you can. And in my neighborhood... It's the most efficient place to get a bagel now. I mean, that makes sense. That's their whole... That's their whole game. That's their whole game. I was shocked this morning at how fast it was to get my food at the drive-thru. It's addictive. It's like the news site that loads in your browser in less than a second. Yes. It's like, oh, what am I going to do? I'm going to yeah. go to McDonald's. Yeah, fast food, fast culture. I think this is the time for our outro. All right. Well, that's the pilot episode of Hamburger Business Review. We are going to see if we can get a series order of, I think, eight to 10 episodes. This is also already one of my most profitable projects. We've been paid $5 by our first supporter. That's like a 5x increase, probably. Oh, infinite increase. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the denominator is zero. <laughs> yeah. So we're doing really well. What else do we have on tap? for Harvard Business Review case studies of McDonald's. I mean, I'll run through some of these titles just to give people a taste. I mean, one I'm really excited about was the 2005 Golden Arch Hotel, McDonald's adventure in the hotel industry. McDonald's, Wendy's, and hedge funds, hamburger hedging. Ooh. Mc McDonald's, the Arch Deluxe launch. There's a lot to dig into, and I think what's fun about McDonald's is it, and, and what we found is it touches on everything. And then there's also this underlying um, kind of like Game of Thrones style action happening underneath at all times. And I was looking at CEOs and the COOs leaving under mysterious circumstances. I'm personally fascinated by Hamburger University, and I want to know more about that. So there's a lot going on. Join us again next time.
on Hamburger Business Review.